I'm Wayne Turner, and welcome to the daily podcast of Bible Track. I have developed Bible Track to be both a commentary and a daily Bible reading schedule. These podcasts cover the text and commentary, which may be found at www.bibletrack.org. So, for those who have a busy schedule but do have time to listen to the Bible being read, this podcast is for you. At the end of one year, you will have gone completely through the Bible. Today's reading is Leviticus chapters 16 through 18. In Leviticus chapter 16, we see the specifications for the really big day in Israel, and that's called the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur. Chapter 16, verse 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they offered before the Lord and died. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speaking to Aaron thy brother, that he come not at all times into the holy place within the veil before the mercy seat, which is upon the ark, that he die not, for I will appear in the cloud upon the mercy seat. Thus shall Aaron come into the holy place with a young bullock for a sin offering, and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, and he shall have the linen breeches upon his flesh, and shall be girded with a linen girdle, and with a linen mitre shall he be attired. These are the holy garments, therefore shall he wash his flesh in water, and so put them on. And he shall take of the congregation of the children of Israel two kids of the goats for a sin offering, and one ram for a burnt offering. And Aaron shall offer his bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and make an atonement for himself and for his house. And he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And Aaron shall cast lots upon the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other lot for the scapegoat. And Aaron shall bring the goat upon which the Lord's lot fell, and offer him for a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell to be the scapegoat shall be presented alive before the Lord to make an atonement with him, and to let him go for a scapegoat into the wilderness. And Aaron shall bring the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself, and shall make an atonement for himself and for his house, and shall kill the bullock of the sin offering, which is for himself." And he shall take a censer full of burning coals of fire from off the altar before the Lord, and his hands full of sweet incense, beaten small, and bring it within the veil. And he shall put the incense upon the fire before the Lord, and the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is upon the testimony that he die not. And he shall take the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it with his finger upon the mercy seat eastward, and before the mercy seat shall he sprinkle of the blood with his finger seven times. Then shall he kill the goat of the sin offering, that is for the people, and bring blood within the veil, and do with that blood as he did with the blood of the bullock, and sprinkle it upon the mercy seat and before the mercy seat. And he shall make an atonement for the holy place because of the uncleanness of the children of Israel, and because of their transgressions and all their sins. And so shall he do for the tabernacle of the congregation that remaineth among them in the midst of their uncleanness. And there shall be no man in the tabernacle of the congregation when he goeth in to make an atonement in the holy place, until he come out, and have made an atonement for himself and for his household and for all the congregation of Israel. And he shall go out unto the altar that is before the Lord, and make an atonement for it, and shall take of the blood of the bullock and the blood of the goat, and put it upon the horns of the altar round about. And he shall sprinkle the blood upon it with his finger seven times, and cleanse it, and hallow it from the uncleanness of the children of Israel. 
And when he hath made an end of the reconciling the holy place and the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar, he shall bring the live goat, and Aaron shall lay both his hands upon the head of the live goat, and confess over him all the iniquities of the children of Israel, and all their transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the goat, and shall send him away by the hand of a fit man into the wilderness. And the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities unto a land not inhabited, and he shall let go the goat in the wilderness. Then Aaron shall come into the tabernacle of the congregation, and shall put off the linen garments, which he put on when he went into the holy place, and shall leave them there. And he shall wash his flesh with water in the holy place, and put on his garments, and come forth, and offer his burnt offering, and the burnt offering of the people, and make an atonement for himself and for the people. And the fat of the sin offering shall he burn upon the altar. And he that let go the goat for the scapegoat shall wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward come into the camp. And the bullock for the sin offering, and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall one carry forth without the camp, and they shall burn in the fire their skins, and their flesh, and their dung. And he that burneth them shall wash his clothes, and bathe his flesh in water, and afterward he shall come into the camp. And this shall be a statute forever unto you, that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, ye shall afflict your souls, and do no work at all, whether it be one of your own country, or a stranger that sojourneth among you. For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you, to cleanse you, that ye may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. It shall be a Sabbath of rest unto you, and ye shall afflict your souls by a statute forever. And the priest whom he shall anoint, and whom he shall consecrate to minister in the priest's office in his father's stead, shall make the atonement, and shall put on the linen clothes, even the holy garments. And he shall make an atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make an atonement for the tabernacle of the congregation, and for the altar, and he shall make an atonement for the priest and for the people of the congregation. And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you, to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. And he did as the Lord commanded Moses. Well, this chapter begins with a reminder regarding the loss of Aaron's two sons, Nadab and Abihu. That happened back in Leviticus chapter 10. That certainly provided a wake-up call to Aaron here as to the seriousness with which he should execute the procedures outlined in this chapter. Now, this is a special day of the year that practicing Jews call Yom Kippur. It is said that this is the most celebrated day of the Jewish year by Jews even today. Yom Kippur is the English translation of the Hebrew words for Day of Atonement. On this day, the people of Israel fasted. This fast is prescribed in verses 29 to 31, where they're told to afflict their souls. That phrase is also used to indicate a fast in Isaiah chapter 58. They were also to refrain from work on that day. Only the high priest had responsibilities on that day, and they were sacrificial responsibilities. Incidentally, I might add that if you want more information on fasting, look at my written notes on Isaiah chapter 58, and you'll find a lot of detail there. Now, this ritual on the Day of Atonement included the following. A bull was sacrificed. It served as purification offering on behalf of the high priest and his household. And then a goat was sacrificed. It served as a purification offering on behalf of the people. 
And then another goat, the scapegoat, was utilized to carry away the transgressions of the people into the wilderness. A burnt offering was made on Aaron's own behalf, and another burnt offering was made on behalf of the people. So on this day, this special day of atonement, there was, first of all, a sacrifice the bull as the priest's sin offering. That was according to verse 11, for himself and for his house. And then a ram for a burnt offering. That was followed by the selection by lot of one goat to be sacrificed as the people's sin offering, while the other goat was to be driven off into the wilderness. Now, the one that was set free was called the scapegoat. Interestingly enough, this is the source of the term scapegoat. The other goat was sacrificed on the altar. Let me just ask you a question. Which goat would you rather be? Well, now, before you answer that, read verses 21 and 22. The high priest would confess over him, the scapegoat, all the iniquities of the children of Israel and all the transgressions and all their sins, putting them upon the head of the scapegoat. And then it says in verse 22, the goat shall bear upon him all their iniquities into a land not inhabited. So that's where the scapegoat phrase takes on contemporary usage. That's the goat that took on all the guilt of the whole nation. But, I mean, he did go free. Now this is that one day of the year when the high priest goes into the most holy place, also called the Holy of Holies. He sprinkled the blood of the bull upon the mercy seat on the Ark of the Covenant. And why was this all done each year? Well, verse 30 in Leviticus chapter 16 says, For on that day shall the priest make an atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before the Lord. Leviticus 16.34 says, And this shall be an everlasting statute unto you to make an atonement for the children of Israel for all their sins once a year. Now, it's a fact that the Ark of the Covenant disappeared somewhere prior to the fall of Jerusalem in 586 B.C. So in Jesus' day, there was no mercy seat in the Holy of Holies of the Temple. We're told by extra-biblical sources that there was just a, well, a big rock in there. Today's Jews don't even have a temple. All that remains of this special day, Yom Kippur, well, is just the fasting. No sacrificing of animals is done on that day. It's still observed by most practicing Jews, but quite differently from the pattern of observance specified here in Leviticus chapter 16. It's interesting to note that on the one day of the year, the Day of Atonement, when the high priest went into the Most Holy Place, he wore different clothing which he changed into while still standing in the Holy Place. We see that in verse 4 and again in verses 23 and 24. So the people never actually saw the high priest in his special clothing on that Day of Atonement. Now, if you'd like to have a complete overview of the Jewish festivals, see my written notes on Leviticus chapter 23, and also I have an article under topics called Jewish Feast, uh, found on the topic section of BibleTrack.org. If you'd like more information on the activities of the high priest in the Holy of Holies on this special day, then look at the specifications that are contained in Exodus chapter 28 in the written notes of BibleTrack.org. Uh, incidentally, there's an oft-repeated yet untrue addition to this procedure, and that says that a rope was tied to the high priest's ankle for the purpose of pulling the dead men out if the bells on his outfit stopped ringing. Remember the priest had, the high priest had those uh, 
special bells on the on the borders of the garment. Well, obviously, this is an embellishment based upon verse 35 of Exodus chapter 28, and also in verse 13 in this passage. But there's absolutely no biblical record nor Jewish tradition that this ever took place. No rope, no rope tied to a priest to drag him out if he died there. As a matter of fact, careful examination of the biblical specifications here will show us this. It would be impossible that the priest bells would stop ringing while he was ministering in the Holy of Holies because the high priest in the holy place, before he went into the Holy of Holies on that special day, well, he changed into a special bellless garment prior to entering in the Holy of Holies. Again, verse 4, verses 23 and 24. So that story is absolutely not true, just embellished and added along the way by people. And if you look on the internet and do a search, you'll find countless people talking about the rope tied to the high priest to drag him out when the bell stopped ringing. But as I said, I'll say it again, no record of that happening, nor do the scriptures that I've specified allow for uh, such uh, an activity. In verse uh, 1 of chapter 17, well, we'll begin reading here on, and see why they didn't eat their cattle. Do you ever wonder why the Israelites, if they were hungry, why they didn't just eat their cattle? Well, here is the answer in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 1, is where we'll begin reading here. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Aaron and unto his sons and unto all the children of Israel, and say unto them, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded, saying, What man soever there be of the house of Israel that killeth an ox or lamb or goat in the camp, or that killeth it out of the camp, and bringeth it not into the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, to offer an offering unto the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood shall be imputed unto that man. He hath shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. To the end that the children of Israel may bring their sacrifices, which they offer in the open field, even that they may bring them unto the Lord, unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, unto the priest, and offer them for a peace offering unto the Lord. And the priest shall sprinkle the blood upon the altar of the Lord, at the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, and burn the fat for a sweet savor unto the Lord. And they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils, after whom they have gone a-whoring. This shall be a statute forever unto them throughout their generations. And thou shalt say unto them, Whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers which sojourn among you, that offereth a burnt offering or sacrifice, and bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, to offer it unto the Lord, even that man shall be cut off from among his people. And whatsoever man there be of the house of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, that eateth any manner of blood, I will even set my face against that soul that eateth blood, and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, No soul of you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger that sojourneth among you eat blood. And whatsoever man there be of the children of Israel, or of the strangers that sojourn among you, which hunteth and catcheth any beast or fowl that may be eaten, he shall even pour out the blood thereof, and cover it with dust. For it is the life of the flesh, the blood of it, 
is for the life thereof. Therefore I said unto the children of Israel, Ye shall eat the blood of no manner of flesh, for the life of all flesh is the blood thereof, and whosoever eateth it shall be cut off. And every soul that eateth that which died of itself, or that which was torn with beast, whether it be one of your own country, or a stranger, he shall both wash his clothes, and bathe himself in water, and be unclean until the even, then shall he be clean. But if he wash them not, nor bathe his flesh, then he shall bear his iniquity. Now, here's an interesting provision of their wilderness journey in verses 3 and 4. It says, What man soever there be of the house of Israel that killeth an ox or lamb or goat in the camp, or that killeth it out of the camp, and bringeth it not unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation to offer an offering unto the Lord before the tabernacle of the Lord, blood shall be imputed unto that man. He hath shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. Apparently, if you wanted a nice meat dinner, uh, let's say from your flock, well, those critters had to be offered at the tabernacle for peace offerings. Verse 5 is where we see that. It further appears that these restrictions applied during the wilderness excursion and were lifted upon their arrival in Canaan in Deuteronomy chapter 12, verses 20 to 25. Previous to their entry into Canaan, the Israelites were not permitted to eat their cattle in the wilderness without bringing them to the priest first as peace offerings. You'll recall from Leviticus chapter 7, verses 11 to 36, that this is the offering where everybody gets to eat up. Now, many people have questioned why the Israelites who left with all their herds from Egypt didn't just dip into the herd when they got hungry. Well, apparently our answer to that question is found here in this chapter. Look at verse 7. And they shall no more offer their sacrifices unto devils after whom they have gone a-whoring. Obviously, the practice of slaying an animal from the herd had deep religious significance back in Egypt. Therefore, they just didn't eat from the herd unless God said it was okay to do so. These animals were centerpieces of idolatry when they were in Egypt. Perhaps in an attempt to prevent the Hebrews from slipping back into idolatry, every slain member of their flocks had to come through the tabernacle under the priest's supervision first. Remember what Aaron made from gold for idolatrous purposes back in Exodus chapter 32? Well, that's right, it was a calf. Likewise, after Solomon's death, the northern kingdom adopted two calves as the new symbol of their religion in 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 25 to 33. Now, verses 10 to 16 solidly established a Jewish law. And here it is, no eating blood. If you're going to keep the law of Moses, give up the rare medium steaks. Blood had a special purpose, as we see in verse 11. Now, this phrase that we find in this passage, cut off from, well, it's used frequently in the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, and it's used there for various offenses. It's used three times in this chapter. No one can say for certain whether that means excommunicated from Israel or put to death. Sometimes the context seems to give a hint. Whether it means exile or death in these instances, these violators won't be permitted to hang with their Hebrew neighbors any longer after their offense. Now, in Leviticus chapter 18, as we begin to read that, we're going to see some sexual taboos. And you'll note that these are not just for the Hebrews. I'll make some points on that in a few moments. Verse 1, And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, 
speaking to the children of Israel and saying to them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, shall ye not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whether I bring you, shall ye not do. Neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Ye shall do my judgments and keep mine ordinances to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, which if a man do, he shall live in them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach to any that is near of kin to him, to uncover their nakedness. I am the Lord. The nakedness of thy father or the nakedness of thy mother shalt thou not uncover. She is thy mother. Thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. The nakedness of thy father's wife shalt thou not uncover. It is thy father's nakedness. The nakedness of thy sister, the daughter of thy father, or daughter of thy mother, whether she be born at home or born abroad, even their nakedness thou shalt not uncover. The nakedness of thy son's daughter, or of thy daughter's daughter, even their nakedness thou shalt not uncover, for theirs is thine own nakedness. The nakedness of thy father's wife's daughter, begotten of thy father, she is thy sister, thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy father's sister, she is thy father's near kinswoman. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy mother's sister, for she is thy mother's near kinswoman. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy father's brother, thou shalt not approach to his wife, she is thine aunt. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy daughter-in-law, she is thy son's wife, thou shalt not uncover her nakedness. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of thy brother's wife, it is thy brother's nakedness. Thou shalt not uncover the nakedness of a woman and her daughter, neither shalt thou take her son's daughter, or her daughter's daughter, to uncover her nakedness, for they are her near kinswomen, it is wickedness. Neither shalt thou take a wife to her sister, to vex her, to uncover her nakedness beside the other in her lifetime. Also thou shalt not approach unto a woman to uncover her nakedness, as long as she is put apart for her uncleanness. Moreover, thou shalt not lie carnally with thy neighbor's wife to defile thyself with her. And thou shalt not let any of this seed pass through the fire to Moloch, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord, thou shalt not lie with mankind, as with womankind it is abomination. Neither shalt thou lie with any beast to defile thyself therewith, Neither shall any woman stand before a beast to lie down thereto. It is confusion. Defile not ye yourselves in any of these things. For in all these the nations are defiled, which I cast out before you. And the land is defiled, therefore I do visit the iniquity thereof upon it. And the land itself vomiteth out her inhabitants. Ye shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments, and shall not commit any of these abominations neither any of your own nation, nor any stranger that sojourneth among you. For all these abominations have the men of the land done, which were before you, and the land is defiled. But the land spew not you out also, when you defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. For whosoever shall commit any of these abominations, even the souls that commit them shall be cut off from among their people." Therefore ye shall keep mine ordinance, that ye commit not any one of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that ye defile not yourselves therein. 
I am the Lord your God. Now, in this passage, a term that we saw frequently to uncover another's nakedness. And in this chapter, it means to have sexual relations with that person. Verses 1 through 20 give the Hebrews restrictions regarding these activities of intimacy. These verses regulate who the Hebrews could and could not marry. Notice the Jacob Leah clause in verse 18. No marrying a second sister while the first one lives. <laughs> Where was this law when Laban flim-flammed Jacob back in Haran in Genesis chapter 29 verses 21 through 30? He could have used such a law back then. You'll notice that most of the prohibitions of these verses have no punishment associated with them. These are listed in again uh, in Leviticus chapter 20 where we there do see specific punishments are associated with most of these violations. In most cases, it's, uh, well, death. We see in verse 3 that these restrictions differentiated the Hebrews from the practices of both the Egyptians and the Canaanites. And in this passage, we saw intimate relations forbidden uh, that include parent, stepmother, stepsister or sister, granddaughter, half-sister, aunt, uncle, daughter-in-law, sister-in-law. There's an exception that should be pointed out here that's most interesting. The Levitical clause found in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 5 through 10, uh, regarding one's brother's wife. Verse 5 of Deuteronomy 25 says, If brethren dwell together and one of them have died and have no child, and the wife of the dead shall not marry without unto a stranger, her husband's brother shall go in unto her, and take her to him to wife, and perform the duty of an husband's brother unto her. While living, she was off limits. However, if the brother dies without giving her childbirth, the remaining brother is obligated to take her as his wife and give her a child in his brother's name. As a matter of fact, having descendants was very important in Israel. It was a disgrace to refuse this responsibility, we see that in Deuteronomy chapter 25, verses 6 through 10. It was a variation of this provision whereby Ruth came by her husband, Boaz, in the book of Ruth. Then we also have the prohibition against a mother and her daughter or a mother and her granddaughter with the same man as a husband. And you can't have a woman marrying her sister's husband while the sister's still living. Any woman during her menstrual cycle, no relations there. And you can't marry your neighbor's wife. Well, we also see some uh, other activities, sexual activities, that are absolutely forbidden. We see that sacrificing children on the altar of Moloch. In other words, human sacrifice. Absolutely forbidden. We see homosexual relationships in verse 22. Again, absolutely forbidden. And in verse 23, bestiality, yes, absolutely forbidden. Now, how serious does God regard violations of these principles? Well, there's a solemn warning that goes beyond the law of Moses in Leviticus chapter 18, this passage, verses 27 and 28. Here's what it says. For all these abominations have the men of the land done which were before you, and the land is defiled. But the land spew not you out also when you defile it, as it spewed out the nations that were before you. Now those nations that were before you, they weren't under the law of Moses. 
But God found that these sexual practices, those of the Canaanites, to be so repulsive that it says here that he spewed out the nations. Let's face it, some things are just wrong, 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 wrong. In verse 21, we see what appears to be a prohibition against human sacrifice. Moloch was an old Canaanitish idol. Sometimes the pagan nations actually made human sacrifices to this pagan god. Now, let me make an observation here. Based upon these prohibitions for which the nations were held accountable, who were not even under the law of Moses, it would appear that God has deemed these practices as abominations for all mankind. I would add, for all time. Jew, non-Jew, anybody, everybody, through all time. These sexual practices were absolutely abhorrent before God. Incidentally, these stipulations of the law of Moses are so important that they're again strongly emphasized in Leviticus chapter 20, just two chapters later. And when we get over to chapter 20 and verse 23, here's what we're going to see. It says, And ye shall not walk in the manners of the nations which I cast out before you, for they committed all these things, and therefore I abhorred them. So here, listen to this. These sexual practices were so repulsive to God that he drove out the Canaanites out of their land because of these abhorrent sexual practices. As a matter of fact, Moses repeats this assertion a little over 38 years later in Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 4, when he says this, Speak not thou in thine heart, after that the Lord thy God hath cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. So again, let me emphasize, there are some sexual practices that are just so abhorrent before God that he holds all mankind accountable if they violate them. This concludes our podcast for today. I'm Wayne Turner, and if you'd like to read along with our commentary online, go to www.bibletrack.org. Thank you for listening in today. The background music for these podcasts is an original composition written by the music director of Faith Bible Church, Paul Walker. 